The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Monday, we've got to talk some USC Trojan football, some news across high school and college football. We have to get to with the coach, Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. Or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. Any questions or comments for the show, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call or text us at 424-254-9141. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, but also if you have an Apple device, go to the Apple podcasting app, leave us five-star reviews, uh, any kind of feedback you have for us. That really helps us grow the show. We do appreciate it. You can rank the show, give us five stars. That helps us so much, and we do appreciate when you do that. If you have any questions, you can post them on the Apple podcasting app as well, and we'll get to them here on the show. All right, well, let's jump in and get to talking on the show with the coach Harvey Hyde. He's joining us right now. How are you doing, coach? Ryan, I'm doing pretty good, buddy. Did you have to wear a mask uh, this past weekend when you climbed Mount uh, San Bernardino? I did. So uh, I start off in a mask out of the car just to get going. But once you start hiking, uh, it was a San Bernardino peak. It was uh, up in the San Bernardino mountains. And no, I don't hike with the mask on. But if someone there's usually you'll see people hike by, I keep it kind of around my neck and I'll pop it up if you walk by someone on the trail. But most of the time you're just walking by yourself. So I don't, uh, don't wear a mask or do that. But yeah, it was, it was fun. I've, uh, I've done four of the six pack of peaks here in Southern California. San Bernardino was my fourth. I just wanted to bring that up as a lot of people might've seen your tweet. If they don't follow you, I wanted to mention that because I thought that was really a, a great challenge for you to do. And you did it by yourself and you're on the hill for eight hours. That's something special. And you just cross off that one and you look for the next one. But again, I want to congratulate you and let's talk some football. Yeah. Thanks coach. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, just doing some hiking the last couple of months. It's been, it's been good. You know, it's one thing you can do outside and be socially distant. Um, what we want to know coaches, if we could be socially distant and play college football and there's been some newsy stuff lately that maybe isn't going in the right direction. If you're hoping, uh, for, College football, I mean, one of the things we can start off with, Coach, is uh, Pac-12 news. So we got, what, about 10 days ago? It was uh, fr- like a week and a half ago, last Friday, that the Pac-12 announced it would go with a conference-only schedule. And if you remember back in May, 
they had actually delayed the Pac-12 media day, which is normally in person, normally at the Hollywood and Highland uh, location. They usually have one day. They've had two days before. But they were going to do more of a virtual media days uh, in late July, from July 29th through the 31st. So that's what the plan was as of May. Then this morning, today's uh, Monday uh, on July 20th, Coach the Pac-12 announced that it was going to be uh, delayed until a later date. They're basically an indefinite postponement of Pac-12 media days. To me, Coach, that's not a great sign when you're talking about camp is supposed to start uh, in a couple of weeks uh, on August 7th. If the Pac-12 felt they are going to really have college football starting in September, maybe they delay the, the virtual media days a couple of weeks or something. I don't know. Postponing it indefinitely just seems like almost giving up on the season. I don't know. What do you think about that, Coach? Well, I think it's uh, poorly done. We talked about that. I think, first of all, they announced it way too early that they didn't want to play or they weren't going to play any non-conference games. Uh, I thought it was a selfish thing they did. First of all, they uh, the schools that were going to play them, they didn't give them any warning on that. There isn't one uh, association that handles that. So uh, you take UNLV where I coach. UNLV was playing two Pac-12 teams in their opening of their new stadium in, in Cal. Then they had Louisiana Tech and they had Arizona State. And all of a sudden now if they have college football, they've got two holes in their schedule. Now they have to run around and try to fill those. And what about the big intersectional games as far as, you know, at, at Oregon and Ohio State and all these other, Michigan and Washington and all these games that people were looking forward to, not to mention USC, Notre Dame. Why would you announce that so early? Because they followed the lead of the Big Ten, which I think the Big Ten really made a big mistake too. Why would you announce these type of things so early without it be you being unified as far as all of college football, as far as understanding what's going on and why. I think it was done. Uh, I just think that it wasn't done with any type of thought, and it wasn't done with any type of organization. It was done on the spur of the moment, and now they moment, and now they really don't know what they're doing again. So, you know, I think that there, there's lack of uh, leadership there. Yeah, with with virtual media days, it just seems like that's really easy to, to to host, right? I mean, you've got Zoom calls or something. It didn't seem like it'd be that big of a deal. But now you're talking like, hey, we're going to delay the virtual media days. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because you know what the Pac-12 did say, they would have the schedule out by the end of the month. That was the plan. Um, if you're planning on releasing the schedule like during media days or like after, I mean, it seems like there'd be a good time if that's when you're going to release the schedule, you do it during the media days. It's sort of like this newsy thing that comes out of it. I'm just a little, it just seems like something else is going on there. If you're going to delay virtual media days, because now, uh, I mean, if you're, if it's indefinite, if you're going to do it a couple of weeks, you're like, we're going to do it after we release the schedule. That's fine. Indefinite tells me like, they're not really planning on rescheduling this anytime soon. And you don't have a whole lot of time between now and you know when fall camp is supposed to start, and you want to have media days like during fall camp. That that doesn't make much sense to me. Well, they really don't know. That's why Ryan, they really don't know what to say, so they use that term uh, so that they uh, leave the door open. So if it is rescheduled, they can do it. Uh, but again, uh, you know, they shouldn't set dates. They shouldn't say things. They shouldn't do things unless it's a definite type of 
the thing you're going to do because it makes you look bad. And currently right now, if you're coaching football, if you're an athletic director, or if you are a you know, broadcast station or television programmer or trying to figure out what you're going to do, it's pretty damn difficult to know what to follow because there's so much to do as far as broadcast teams, everything else that's around it, travel plans, you know. So you really shouldn't be making plans until you have a definite solution to what your problem is. And that's why it should be a national solution, not just individual conferences trying to just take care of themselves and all of a sudden find out they're affecting the Mountain West Conference, the Mid-American Conference, uh, there's conferences that have been so good to them, uh, like the Mid-American for the Big Ten and the Mountain West Conference as far as for the Pac-12. They more or less destroy them when they do that without putting any type of thinking behind it as far as what they're affecting when they make these decisions. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens there if we get any kind of word from the conference. Um, you know, we're, what we got. 11 days left. We're supposed to hear something on the schedule and we haven't heard anything yet. So we'll see uh, what happens there. Uh, another kind of newsy item that just came out uh, on Monday morning. So we got some news to talk about here on the show. Uh, so CIF, uh, California Interscholastic Federation. That sounds kind of weird. Sounds like a space thing or something. So high school football is going to be delayed. Uh, I think Eric Sommenheimer reported, they, they, they put an announcement out that high school football was not going to start in the fall. It would start either December or January. According to the LA Times, it was going to start on January 8th. That will be week one. There's not going to be any week zero games. Um, obviously, California teams, especially like big leagues like the Trinity League, they play out of state. You know, per, you know, you play like the Bishop Gormans of the world and stuff. All that, you know, having their season delayed, there's a lot of weird stuff going on with that. The CIF said that, you know, you can play club and high school at the same time. So you might see some seven on seven teams and high schools playing. Um, certainly there's going to be an impact on recruiting. We've already seen within the first hour of this announcement, some players decide that they're skipping their senior year and they're going to enroll early at the school they want to play. But, you know, obviously we don't even know if that season's going to happen or what's going to happen there. Um, certainly with early enrollee students, like if you're a, a high school quarterback, like a Miller Moss, for example, you decided you want to er enroll early at USC, which he was going to do. He's not going to have a senior season to play before he enrolls early. And uh, I think Brian Stump from Student Sports tweeted out, it's probably going to hurt early enrollee quarterbacks more than anything because you're talking 12 or 15 games that you don't get under your belt anymore before you enroll in college. It's, it's really important for the development. You can do camps, you can do seven on seven and all that kind of stuff, but playing your high school football games is meaningful. So there could be wide ranging impacts coach with uh, the CIF uh, delaying high school football until the spring. Any, any uh, initial thoughts on that? A lot of thoughts on that, Ryan. First of all, uh, you're going to see a lot of players uh, committing early now because uh, not having that senior year, they have their offers. They're going to want to take their offers now without taking any chances because schools give a lot more offers and they have scholarships available. I think you're going to see a lot of players uh, commit earlier. I think that also you'll see players that are going to enroll, like you said, in the spring enroll. And if they put college football to the spring, they might be playing college football in the spring who knows or they might be in that college or university as far as red shirting or being a gray shirt and being a part of that why would you play 
in the spring. The thing I feel, uh, just think about this. What if you were a, a college senior and you transferred from like Moss did or other the, these other quarterbacks or other players did to another school your senior year? Now you're at a school your senior year. You don't know anybody. You're not playing football. Uh, how do you think about uh, the school you left? I mean, where all your friends are, where you grew up with, and so on. Are you going to transfer back to that school and graduate with your class? I wonder how many people think about that. How many people you left just for football, your friends and everybody, to go to another school for football, and now what do you do? You stay in the new school, there's no football or whatever. There's a lot of things that this affects, Ryan, a lot of things. It does. I I don't know what the ramifications are going to be. Um, if you decide, Hey, I'm skipping my senior year and I'm going to enroll in college, but then college football is delayed. And so now you would be enrolling after the football season. And now you're enrolling during the season. Um, are you eligible to play right away? I mean, there's just some, so many weird things, uh, going on. You, you met, you know, Miller Moss is the, the USC quarterback. USC has two quarterbacks committed, but Miller Moss is the one that transferred, uh, to modern day. And I think the uh, big reason was it was going to help him prepare for college more playing at a program like that. But also you're probably more likely to play at modern day than almost anywhere else. But now with the CIF announcement delaying everything, he's not going to be able to play his senior season unless he doesn't enroll early at USC. And are we going to see that going to be a, a common thing where we're just going to play our senior seasons? There's no reason to enroll early because there's not going to really bring spring, spring football. There might be instead of spring football practice, there might be just spring football games from the year before. Like there are so many scenarios here, coach. It's absolutely crazy, but just another domino now that could impact, uh, you know, obviously the whole PAC 12 recruits, California, the nation recruits, California, and all of these players are not going to be playing in the fall. Now. No, both of their quarterbacks transfer school. Jake Garcia did the same thing. So uh, maybe they could bring both their quarterbacks in <laughs> And they'd have a backup now, along with Matt Fink and, and uh, Kendon. So that might help him in that way. I'm just being facetious here. I'm, I'm making these things up when I say that. But I'm just saying there's so many different things as far as you being a senior and you transfer away like Moss did from Alameda, where Alameda has an outstanding football team and great players, and his teammates are going to be, some of them, going to USC. And now what do you do? You Do you graduate from modern day? Do you graduate from Alamany? Uh, are you still friends with those guys you left? Uh, all of this. There's so many different things now, scenarios. Like in the state of Nevada, they have decided there's no out-of-state football. They don't play any teams from out-of-state. Right now, currently, their season starts, I think, in uh, Nevada, August the 14th is their first game. So they have to play everybody in-state. Nobody out of state and a lot of these powerful schools, like you mentioned, Bishop Gorman and them, they, they play everybody in the country. So they had to change their schedule completely to in-state schools. So there's so much and so many adjustments that are going on as far as in high school football, college football, and so on. This is part of our subject for today and a lot of things we want to talk, sort of talk about as far as the future. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see uh, with what's going on with the CIF and how that impacts uh, USC specifically, there's already, you know, I think of the commitments USC has, you know, a significant portion or 12 or 13 of them are, are, you know, playing their high school football in California. So there are a lot of uh, impact 
on the USC recruiting front because USC recruits California heavily because that's where USC is. Uh, but speaking of recruiting, um, USC did pick up a four-star commitment, uh, big deal over the weekend. Um, so it's the fifth defensive back in USC's class of uh, 2020. His name is Prophet Brown from Elk Grove. Uh, that's in Monterey, California, Monterey Trail. Uh, four-star cornerback. He's ranked 127th in the country. He's listed as a running back. Uh, but m- lately in the spring, people have been recruiting him more uh, as a corner. Some people think he could play safety. Really dynamic player, about 5'10". Um, but they're you know, listed as a running back, but a lot of the schools lately have been recruiting him as a corner, uh, including USC. Dante Williams is the lead recruiter there. And man, he's been uh, cleaning up, you know, still one of the top recruiters in the country. But he'll join uh, from from Alamany, who you mentioned already, Jalen Smith, uh, from uh, from uh, Mir High School, Kalen Bullock, uh, from Warren over in Downey, uh, Zamarian Gordon, and then from Narbonne, uh, Anthony Beavers Jr. So uh, some really high-powered secondary players there, Coach, that USC's recruited, and the latest one being Prophet Brown. I think that's outstanding. I think he's done a great job of recruiting and attracting great players. But we know that the name of the game is athletes. Recruiting them, uh, forecasting that they can play it, evaluating them into your system, and then uh, having it all happen. So I think of the defensive side of the football, especially in the secondary area, I think they've done a great job. I really do think they've done a great job. Now, did they? they offered the linebacker, I believe his name, Fields, from the University of Arizona. Now, I don't know if they really need linebackers. I was wondering your feelings on that, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I think USC is still active in the transfer market. And you're going to see, especially now, there's so like, so much going on, the offers and stuff that are going out. Um, you're going you're gonna to stay active and kind of keep feelers out there. Offers don't mean as much as they used to, as you know, Coach. I mean, they're... There, like you said, there's going to be guys committing quickly, uh, maybe quicker than before. We've already seen it happening during the, the pandemic, um, but trying to get people around. And, and sometimes an offer is just like a, a little nudge, like, hey, we're here. Do you want to come over? I don't know specifically if they're going to bring in any um, transfers at the linebacker position where it's not necessarily his position of, of need. Um, so we'll see where, where that ends up going, Coach. Um, well, we'll see, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, guy's a pretty good player, but as a linebacker, it sort of uh, puts a question in my mind: is Hey, we're not good enough. We're bringing in somebody else, and you know, numbers are so important, especially when they're up to seventeen now. Uh, we certainly want to make uh, sure that the rest of the recruits that are out there are people that you need in positions that'll help you become a better football team. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, they're starting to fill up, and it's a good thing. I mean, ranked number seven in the country right now, uh, just behind Oregon. So, you know, number two in the Pac-12, but doing really good work, especially, you know, like the the Dante Williams of the world. I think Craig Niver's come in and and done a good job, but they're recruiting at a much higher level. We actually had a question uh, from our buddy Curtis on the latest commitment. I want to play it for you, Coach, and get your thoughts. Curtis from Moreno Valley calling to crow about our latest commitment, Prophet Brown. I just looked at his highlights, and he scored from every conceivable offensive position. 
running back, receiver, kickoff, punt returns, plays defense, and he makes people miss very creative with the way that he runs and cuts back against the grain, all of that crazy stuff. Going to be fun to have him. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, Curtis, it's always fun to have great players, and uh, whenever you're an athlete, like play both sides of the ball, that gives, means you got some courage if you can play on defense. You're an athlete, too, as far as being able to run with the football, so if you intercept the ball like he has, you're able to return the football. I think he intercepted two passes last year and ran them both back for touchdowns, so uh, he is an athlete, and uh, he is ranked as one of the top players, I don't know, something like the 126th top player in uh, the country so whenever you get that quality of player you should become a better football team and and i hope that certainly does make a difference in the secondary play at usc they've got some pretty good secondary guys my concern is ryan and curtis and everyone that's listening is the offensive line is something that i think that's very important the trenches are very important uh, i think that they've recruited a large number of athletes the last two years, the commitments this year and last year that they brought in. But I hope they continue to recruit at a level that is at the same level of what they're recruiting at other positions as far as the star-wise, if that makes a difference. And it does normally in the forecasting these players, but you've got to have better players to block better players. And I just sometimes question exactly how that is going and I don't want to get into that because I don't want to talk about players there'll be great players out there and there's great players returning and so on a lot of people magazines have them ranked as the second best offensive line in the Pac-12 so returning players uh, are have quality as far as experience and so on but I think in the future you got to look at that and I'd like to see that level of competition and ability uh, get up to a higher level that's just my thought yeah. So at this time. No, I think overall, Coach, Oregon has done a much better job recruiting, uh, especially some of the star offensive linemen on the West Coast. And I think that's a – I think USC's fixed some of their recruiting problems, but that's still one. Um, and it's tough. You know, Oregon's just – they've got a lot of momentum, especially recruiting offensive linemen. Mario Cristobal's an offensive line guy. I think that certainly helps, but that's one area I think USC needs to get better at. They brought in the numbers, like you mentioned – uh, in the last class, but none of them were really highly ranked guys. And Oregon continues to recruit those guys. There's not that it's not as many of those on the West Coast. There's certainly more skill guys, but uh, Oregon's done a better job getting those bigger name recruits than USC has lately. Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying whoever's in charge of recruiting offense in the offensive line, and I think the whole staff is, but whoever does direct that. And it's probably Coach Clay Helton. I would sort of say it's time for us to raise our level of competition and recruitment there too if we're planning on playing the Alabamas, the Notre Dames, the Oregons, and so on to get back to the glory year level. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and uh, finish up the show. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got the coach, Harvey Hyde. Coach, what? Are, so there's some different newsy items we had talked about already, but I know going into the show, one of the things you wanted to talk about uh, was really like the future of college football. Um, you know, what is the big picture for college athletics and college football 
going forward and what needs to be done uh, to, to help control and change college football. Uh, I, I guess we'll get your thoughts on that. And we have one last question afterwards. Ryan, I'm glad you uh, brought that up because I sort of uh, talked about that a little bit when we opened up the segment talking about the Pac-12 and uh, what the Pac-12 has been doing as far as there's no really pattern as far as knowing what's going on, the cancellation of non-conference games, the Big Ten doing this, the Southeastern Conference not announcing anything, the Big 12 not announcing anything, and so on, the ACC. Well, I think we've gotten to a time, and I think Mac Brown hit on it, and I know Mac Brown, I haven't called him and discussed it with him, but I think that for a long period of time, college football has become so important and such a big part of the athletic departments and the success of the athletic departments that it's time to pull it away from the NCA, not as far as an association, they belong to it, but a separate identity. And football is separate as far as everybody understanding now, as it's been shown that it's the success of an athletic department, it's the income that supplies an athletic department, no matter what sport it is, and it's the future of the athletic departments in college football. And I think it's time now to have what you call a commissioner, just like Roger Goodell, somebody that's competent and somebody that can run entire college football. So different conferences just can't come up and say, we're doing this and we're doing that and you do this, you do that. And all of a sudden, everything's in disarray. That's why there's so confusion on what's so much confusion on what's going on. No one knows what's going on, but no one's in control. It's out of control as far as the scheduling and everything. And I think that you hear me always talk about the expenses that are being incurred now by what coaches are being paid, conference commissioners, what they're being paid. And I think we're into a cost cutting type of uh, thought now, as far as how can we save money, but yet, have better programs and better leadership. So if you have yourself a a commissioner and all of a sudden, just like in the NFL, you have the different divisions, you have the different divisions where your athletic directors uh, at each university is like an owner, and uh, they react as far as for the conference. And the conference and the owners get all together and vote with the commissioner on what the rules and regulations are going to be so we don't have all this confusion that's going on. And what have you done? You've eliminated, you've eliminated the commissioner's salaries, which I would say if you put them all together, that's $20, $30 million or more. You now unify the television packages like they do in the NFL where you generate more money. You understand and you try to take care of the conferences that feed you non-conference games that keep your schedule at a point where uh, you're successful. You unify the conferences so that the conferences all are playing the same number of conference games so one conference doesn't have an advantage over the other. And you have a commissioner that runs the whole thing as far as rules, regulations, transportation, the whole thing, advertising, marketing, just like the NFL. Uh, You unify the the whole deal. It's right now, like you've heard me talk about spring practice and different things, I'm looking to the future. I don't think people really understood the impact of college football and what it generated as far as the dollars and so on to the whole success of the athletic department, the universities, as far as there are other ex, uh, expenses that, come, uh, that are 
there and the incomes that come from parking and concessions and suites and all of the above. It's huge dollars, huge dollars. And you've got to be able to have someone that knows how it runs and it all runs together. It's all under one big arm that makes it all better. And it's and it and it sort of becomes a separate identity of its own. I don't want to say company, but that's what it basically is because it's generating all the dollars to keep the school alive as far as in all the other sports, pays for the scholarship, brings in donors, does it all. So I think that in the future they should look at this. And there should be now a lot of changes made, but this is the time for different changes. Uh, no one knows why all these different conferences now, we're not playing, we are playing, we are going to play a regular schedule. Southeastern Conference, we're going all out. Alabama's trying to schedule Notre Dame. Notre Dame's trying to schedule BYU. Alabama's trying to schedule BYU. UNLV's trying to schedule BYU. All these people, it's just a mess of what's going on because of two conferences saying we're not going to play non-conference games without having a big discussion or having someone in charge of everything. Television, number of scholarships, dollars, Salary caps as far as what people can be paid, uh, just like in any other sport. And I'm not talking about salaries as far as for players. I'm talking about maybe for coaches. Why should coaches, and everyone knows this now, why should coaches like nothing against Clay Helton, but there's coaches making more money, be a five-year contract at $30 million? And that came out. No wonder they couldn't let Clay Helton go. $30 million. He made $4.6 million last year. $30 million, and he went 5-7. and seven. Well, there's a lot of coaches that are making millions. Some are making more. Some are making less. But there's got to be some type of control on the number of money, how everything has been going crazy, so they don't bust, uh, bust these universities. And how about the shoe contracts and their Under Armour canceling and all these different things that are going on where some schools have advantages over other schools and schools are going in the red and they'll never recover or they will recover and the expense of opening up their stadiums and playing games and the stadiums now suffering. Uh, it's got to be in a different manner. It's got to be a different whole program. And I think it's now time to think about this type of change. Hey, Coach, yeah, we, uh, I mean, good points there. I want to talk about that Clay Helton uh, deal because we didn't bring that up and I forgot to, to mention that earlier. But as far as the college football leadership goes, I agree with you. Um, there, there's always talk about, hey, a college football czar. We need someone that's running things, the Roger Goodell uh, of, of the world for the NFL, something like that for college football. And talking to different college football you know, writers on the national scene, they seem to kind of laugh at that when you talk to them, or at least some of them do, because there's so much power spread out right now where you'd have to get a conference commissioner from the Pac-12 and from the SEC and from the Big Ten and the rest of the conferences and agree to someone being over them. Right, right now, they're, they're basically running their own show. Would you want someone over them? And, and is that the case? Is it only for Power Five? Is it for all of college football? Um, it, there's some... There's definitely some there, there would be some power struggles to try to insert somebody there. Uh, there's definitely a leadership void with the NCAA, uh, but you know the conference leadership seems to be pretty strong. You know maybe not the, the Pac-12, but in the other conferences. I don't. Is there an easy way or is there a, a feasible way that you could get someone to, be, you know, have these conference commissioners now report to someone where they don't do that now? 
Well, there might be. There might be a way of taking the conference commissioners and making them a part of this, as you call them, a czar, and being part of that committee and uh, leaving their conferences because they're all excellent in what they do. The Southeastern Conference market's better than anybody else. And all of them have so many great qualities and, and are very intelligent. But again, why do you need a conference commissioner? As far as you need someone probably in the athletic department to manage the rest of your sports and do scheduling and so on. But a conference commissioner, I'm not sure. Not somebody's getting paid two, three, four million. I don't know what they make a year, but maybe they could come and work for less. Can you imagine how many people out there are making the dollars that as a commissioner and assistant commissioner and the playoff system that those guys make all that money? And I mean, really? The money that's out there in college athletic is ridiculous, the expenses. And I think you've got to look at that and cut back. Now, how many guys do you know that wouldn't do that job for $500,000? I don't know if you give them an ultimatum, maybe less than that. That's a lot of money in, in, in my mind. But to pay a guy a million dollars, $2 million, $3 million, what are you kidding? What are you kidding to be a conference commission? What, what are these guys I mean, and then some have private planes and expense accounts. And why don't they meet in dorms on campus somewhere? Why do they have to meet in Hawaii or Carmel or all these places? I mean, really, uh, I think it's gotten really carried away. I know a lot of them. They're good guys and so on. They'll take as much as you'll give them salary-wise and everything else. But uh, I think it's time to reexamine everything and find out exactly what's in place and maybe do an overhaul of everything. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. It's uh, This might be the time to do it during the pandemic. Um, and who knows, we might get some some interesting conversations with the television networks. And uh, I, I mean, I don't know. that This is the time for change, though, because we just don't know what's going to be going on. Uh, but you mentioned this, and I totally forgot to uh, to bring this up and put it in my show notes going into it. Um, this was something we talked about uh, in the war room uh, on Friday. If you're not a member, you should go to check out uscfootball.com and check it out. We I gave some kind of unique insight from sources I talked to about Clay Helton's contract. So if you remember, back in February of 2018, then-athletic director Lynn Swan uh, gave Clay Helton a five-year contract extension. And we didn't know a lot of details about it. Uh, USC went out that year and went five and seven. This was after getting thumped by Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. He got the contract extension. Um, and we had reported different things in the war room over the, the last few months as we learned more about this contract. And I think I think it was Yahoo Sports coach that said the buyout would be like $15 million. And we talked to Dan Weber. He's like, there's no way the buyout's that high. They couldn't be that dumb. And then we started to talk to sources that were like, the buyout's closer to 30 or $40 million. And we're like, what? Like, how could that even be possible? Now, that was going to include like the total cost of buying him out, assistance, and, you know, spending like 10 million on a new coach or something like that. So there was the numbers were astronomical and it just didn't make a lot of sense. Then we started to learn more about the contract because it's a public school, it's a private school. You don't, uh, you don't know the the details because they don't have to make it public because it's a private school. But it was a five-year guaranteed contract from what we were told, our sources told. Like, whoa. So fully guaranteed contract. Oh, okay. He probably makes $3 million a year. Like, there's, that's $15 million right there. Um, and then you find out things like, 
Well, there's also uh, benefits that are built in from a university. So say you had a contract, say you made $100,000 from USC and you had a contract for a year and they just wanted to get rid of you. They don't just give you your $100,000 and walk away. There's actually the fringe benefit calculation. There's like, I think the rate for USC is like 33%. So you would got $133,000. You actually get more money than what's on your contract because of the benefits that they would have had to pay out for you for those years. So like the, you know, healthcare and all that kind of stuff. So they, they pay those benefits. Um, and if they terminated your contract, then you're getting compensated for those benefits. So even more money than, you know, if it was making 3 million a year, you get a third of that. So it's really uh, more like four. Well, then uh, the, the tax returns came out for USC for 2018. I think the LA times was the first to report on this. And then we were able to confirm with our sources Cloud got a big bump, uh, over 40% raise uh, to be the head coach at USC. So not only did he get a five-year fully guaranteed contract, but he got a raise uh, up to $4.6 million. That was for 2018. By now, he's most likely making, you're probably getting a bump every year, a couple hundred K or something. By now, coach, he's probably making $5 million a year and you know, the 2020 season, whatever happens there, that's already being paid for. But there's really three full seasons after 2020 left on his contract. And you're still looking at, you know, in the tens of millions of dollars to buy out Clay Helton at this point. So everyone was upset that Mike Bone didn't fire Clay Helton after last year, but he would have still had four years left on this fully guaranteed contract. Uh, So you're upwards of five million a year. It makes more sense now. Like, yeah, the USC, you know, Lin Swan just did just did the USC fan base and the, the athletic department dirty by giving this extension that nobody was going after Clay Helton. If you want to give him some kind of extension to help with recruiting and stuff, that's fine. But to give him this like like ironclad, fully guaranteed five year deal just didn't make any financial sense at the time. And then obviously that first season, you go five and seven. And your hands are tied. You can't do anything with the guy because, uh, you know, that was a horrible ske- season, a horrible, uh, just if the, the talent USC had compared to the record, it was inexcusable. But because he just signed this enormous extension, there really wasn't much USC could do. So just kind of a crazy development lately, Coach, that we know more and more about this contract. And I think it gives fans more perspective why, uh, you know, the fans that wanted Clay Helton to be fired, there was a lot of financial reasons why that probably wasn't going to happen. No, you're right. And again, uh, you know, you talk about Clay Heldnott. Congratulations, Coach. Oh, yeah. It's Tremendous great for him. Deal. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. I want you to know I'd like to shake your hand on that. So I was pulling that off. That's 17000 a week, Eighty? no, a day, 88000 a week. I don't know what that is a month, but not bad pay. That's on a five-day weekday. Workday, so that's great. Uh, Lynn Swan uh, for getting paid two or three million a year. Very smart decision. You obviously knew what you're going to do, but let's go to the another level. Let's go to the president's level and the trustees level. Great decision up there, guys. Way to pass it. Uh, I mean, you know, you ought to read between the lines and understand. Uh, I don't know if they run their businesses that way. All these trustees and regents or whatever, and then the college president. I mean, uh, how do you approve that? And he was responsible for hiring the two past ADs. And then they settled with him, I see, this weekend for $7.6 million. So 
that's pretty good. And then the new college president that comes in, I understand she's living in Santa Monica. They bought her a home for $8 million. And this all falls under the leadership of the university. So I would say unlimited sources, unlimited sources out there for UNLV as far as the spending that they do. And listen, I want to throw this out right now because I might forget. But I'd like people to go to my website, Ryan. I almost forgot, harveyhyde.com, harveyhyde.com. I do a lot of shows. I do other things. Your podcast, this podcast, is listed on it, too. And if you want to just follow up with my other shows that I do, I'd love to have you join me. That's harveyhyde.com. And thank you very much, Ryan, for letting me put that in there. Oh, for sure. No problem, Coach. Um, yeah, this is uh, – in and please I, I I hate the the clay Helton hatred like people don't like him as a person like if someone's giving you that kind of money you have a great he has Jimmy Sexton as an agent he has a great agent you're dealing with an inexperienced athletic director that's on USC for hiring Lin Swan I, you want to blame Lin Swan you should I mean he that was a terrible decision but USC hired him uh you know they hired a guy to run an athletic department with a 120 million dollar budget or whatever it is and he has zero experience doing so. And he's going to go up against a super agent and get fleeced. And he really did get fleeced. This is great for Clay Helton and his family. He signs this, you know, fully guaranteed contract um, and protect himself over getting fired if you have a, a horrible season. Now, some of it might be, you know, did he, I'm not going to say he's not going to try as hard, but when you get that fully guaranteed deal, you feel pretty comfortable. And are you going to make tougher decisions that you don't have to make, like firing coaches, which we a lot of us thought they should have been a bunch of changes after the 2017 season. USC did win the Pac-12, but looked bad in the games against the, the top opponents, like we saw Ohio State just getting pushed around uh, in the Cotton Bowl, and Clayton didn't make any changes. It's part of the reason for that coach that he signed this big contract extension. He feels comfortable, where if he doesn't sign that, does he say, hey, my job's on the line. I'm going to go out and make some changes and make my staff better, where since then he's made changes, but it's been more of a forceful thing where you sign that full, you know, fully guaranteed extension in 2018. I think you feel pretty comfortable. Yeah, I'm just going to stick with, I'm going to stand pat and stick with the guys I got. I'm sure things will turn around. Obviously they didn't. He had to fire him anyway. But would he have fired him earlier if he doesn't sign that extension? And it's a direct effect on the athletic department. Now, when other coaches in the department that works just as hard or harder in sports that don't make as much money, and they're living on maybe or getting paid 100000 or 150000 or 200000 whatever. I don't care. I don't think any of them are making 500000 in an Olympic sport. Maybe they are. And their budget is limited to whatever. They barely get by, and they inventory how many shorts they have and give out, and what type of a budget do they need as far as what they wear for swimming or water polo or soccer or whatever, and they're working on uh, sewing buttons on their uniforms or whatever. What's the morale like when your athletic director is making all this money and they know that Clay's making all this money and the coaches are making all this money in the football department, which, as I mentioned earlier, we all know football makes all the money. But again, you've got to look at everything else. You've got to say, what's going on uh, as far as uh, these other coaches, too, when you can give yeah, where would $5 million go in the other programs? How far would that go as far as from salaries from a lot of people? That's why I'm saying everything's got to be looked at because these other sports are, are valuable sports and great experiences for student-athletes. 
And I think it's getting a little bit crazy on these type of things. And who are the people responsible for allowing this to happen? It's unbelievable what's going on. So I just wanted to bring that up because I think there's got to be a lot of changes that are going on in the money side of college athletics. And I think it's got to be with people who understand the business portion as well as the athletic side with experience. And uh, you take uh, the past president. I don't know how much he had as far as experience in in college football or athletics. And he took a lot of suggestions from people. And Lynn Swan, as you mentioned, the contract that he just allowed to go by. And Pat Hayden, who came from the business world and never had really any association in the athletic department except being a, a booster and so on, running down on the field when Sarkeesian had a problem to solve that. <laughs> I mean, really, a lot of embarrassing things and discussions like we're having today that are unnecessary. Yeah. So I think they brought it a lot on themselves. Yeah. And I think they need to clean it all up. Self-inflicted wounds, for sure. And you hope that Carol Fult and Mike Bone can kind of fix some of these problems. But these are really tough problems and problems that they didn't create. They were They, they inherited these problems, and now they're trying to fix it during a pandemic makes it all the more difficult. Like I, I mean, even if you if uh, you know if USC has a bad season in 2020, which seems hard, it's hard to picture that now, coach, because the two toughest games are off the schedule and we don't even know if they're going to play. And USC has a better roster than everyone in the Pac-12, maybe not Oregon. Um, they have, you know, one game that's a likely loss at Oregon, but they could easily win the rest of those games. You're probably not making a change then, but even so, if USC struggled, it's hard to make a change when there's that much money left on a contract and you're going to already be fighting all these other budgetary issues because of the pandemic. Uh, I, you know, I warned people in the war room and I warned people on uscfootball.com. Don't expect something to be happening to Clay Helton uh, at this point. I get it. You know, if you want to say, Hey, USC deserves a better coach, they should be fighting for national championships and they should have been recruiting better and should have never went five and seven. All that, you, all those things are true. But the way where USC is now, um, all the bad decisions of the past have kind of limited what this new administration can do. And I just don't think with the budgetary hit that this athletic department is going to take in all athletic departments across the country, even if there was a reason on the field to uh, make a coaching change, I just don't see that happening this year, Coach. No, I don't either since I know now up front exactly the cost and what the contract was and all of that. So we'll just have to play it by ear and whatever the record is, uh, he'll be back the coming year. And again, I hope he's undefeated. I really do. There's no reason why he can't go up and beat Oregon. And like I've said all along, uh, when you're USC, you'll play anyone in the country. At least that's where it's always been and used to be. And that's what they're trying to get it back to. So going to Eugene uh, is a challenge, but so what? Who's going to be in the stadium? Maybe nobody if they play the game. So how is it a home field advantage? And uh, we'll see how that works. And uh, I want to wish uh, them the best of luck and Coach Helton and everybody else. And I hope we have a football season. But, again, we've got to get some decisions made, and it's got to be uh, where everyone is on the same page, playing under the same rules, and people aren't getting hurt, and student-athletes aren't getting hurt as far as because of the everybody going their own way. That's the way everything gets lost, and yeah. uh, that's all I can say. One last question for us, Coach. Uh, we got Earl in West L.A. about the prospects of no football. He says, given the uncontrolled spread of the virus and a lack of a coordinated national strategy and leadership, I don't see 
how there will be college football this year, regardless of whether it's in the fall or the spring. Assuming I'm correct, can we resume play in the fall of 2021? What do you think will happen regarding players' scholarships being honored, red shirts, things like that? How the television contracts could be renegotiated? How are they going to evaluate players for the NFL draft? There are many more details, but those are came to mind first. Thanks for all you do, Earl in West LA. And Earl, yeah, I mean, those are all, there's so many questions that are going to come up. If if the season's delayed, let alone canceled altogether, like Earl is suggesting. Uh, well, I talked to a television person, coach, and they said the TV networks aren't going to pay for games that don't, don't air. So all that money that you would get from your television contract, to me, it's all going to go away from what I was told. Uh, but yeah, the NFL draft, I think, would still go on. Just you wouldn't be able to evaluate players the same way. I mean, scholarships, I think they'd be honored. Um, I mean, would everyone just be given a red shirt? Would it be like a gray shirt? It's it's hard to say. Um, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on all of that, Coach? Well, I think they will. I don't think they're there to hurt the student-athlete. I think they'll be on scholarship to get that done. And, and I think they'll all be given another year of eligibility if there's no football whatsoever. Uh, why wouldn't you do that? Why would you hurt the kids or the football program in itself or any football program? So uh, will it be back in 2021? I certainly hope so. I hope that if we don't have a fall football season, that we have a spring football season, as I've talked about and discussed many times, like high school football is going to do, and just have two seasons in 21. And I don't think the, the athletic departments can go without a football season. I just don't think they can make it. I don't think they can pay the scholarships. You take USC and all of their money, uh, a lot of schools give you waivers for tuition and so on. But at USC, the athletic department is completely responsible for every single expense it has, from television revenue, concessions, everything they do, marketing, it all is their responsibility to pay the bills. The university doesn't get many money. In fact, if there's money left over, it goes to the general fund. So I think that uh, there's a lot that has to be accomplished here and a lot to be discussed. And uh, as he mentioned, I think it should come, like I mentioned earlier, out of a leadership format of everybody doing the same thing somehow we can't have some playing in the fall some playing in the spring some playing five games some playing eight games some playing conference games some not playing conference games i mean or non-conference games i mean that's crazy okay it's crazy what's going on it's even hard to talk about it yeah it is well we're gonna still cross our fingers still hold out some hope um so you know, we don't, just don't know at this point. So we'll let you know what's going on. There was some news we got to already from this morning. We'll see if the Pac-12 follows up with anything here in the coming days and weeks. But, Coach, as always, great stuff. Um, good, uh, good hearing from you and good to get your thoughts on things. And we'll keep being hopeful that we can somehow figure out a way to have uh, a safe college football season this year. I hope we do. I really hope we do because I'm really looking forward to it. And I know everyone else is too. And uh, – We'll find out. That's all we can do, but uh, we'll just wait and see what the plans are. Yeah. All right. That's the coach, Harvey Hyde. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We really appreciate you uh, listening and being part of the show. Hope you guys are all staying safe, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. 
And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 